Welcome into episode 11 of the Thunder Sports Report. I'm Rusty Lindsay. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. We're going to get right into our guest this week, and that is All-American Decathlon participant Leif Van Grinsven, who was a recent graduate of Wheaton College, but is currently overseas working at the World Health Organization as part of their COVID-19 incident management support team. So without further ado, this week's guest, Leif Van Grinsven. When you were going through the recruiting process, what was it about Wheaton that drew you here and, and why you ended up choosing uh, to spend your, your collegiate career uh, running track at Wheaton? So it was actually my brother. He was a Wheaton student. He's two years ahead of me. And so I first heard about Wheaton through him. Uh, and it was it was during the visits to Wheaton and then also during the time that, that he came home with some Wheaton friends um, that I was really drawn to Wheaton. So he was a football player. Um, when Coach Schweider was, was the coach and had a lot of influence on him and really shaped his life. Uh, but it was something about the, the guys, uh, his friends. Uh, and looking back now, I think I can see now, it, if I were to describe it, it would be all of them had a, a focus as to what this season of life was to be about. Um, they all had the, this focus of growing into men of God, uh, both athletically uh, on the football field but academically, spiritually, a, really a focus on holistic growth. Uh, and so seeing that was something that I, that I didn't see at other universities, other colleges that I visited. Um, they had a focus on, you know, being the best athlete on, on the track. They had a, some of them had great academic programs, but really having, I guess, looking back now retrospectively, mentors, those coaches, those professors, um, that really pour into you and encourage you to be all that you can be on in all aspects of life, as well as the peers, um, those that really yeah push you and encourage you to, to be all of that. I think that really was a very clear seeing it from my brother's friends, seeing it in him. Uh, it was something I wanted to be a part of. Well, that it's interesting you say that because that is something that that uh, Favor Azwuzi mentioned in her podcast uh, early. I think it was episode three of the Thunder Sports Report. So it maybe jump forward a little bit here. And how did you see that manifest itself with coach coaches Bradley and and Wally and and how they were able to do that during your time at Wheaton? Yeah, the <laughs> coach Bradley is a, a dear friend. Coach Wally, dear friends. I think to talk about. Wheaton, you you hear academic excellence, you see athletic excellence, and, and I think a lot of programs can speak to that. But I think what Coach Bradley, Coach Wally, and what what our athletic department and all at Wheaton really do is they live that with integrity. They they show you what it actually means to be to be men and women of God on the track as coaches, uh, as well as encourage you outside outside of the yeah, the, the track and field spheres as well. Um, Coach lived with yeah a love for for Jesus that that is contagious. Wally as well, um, and to have that constant influence during those four years is something that I still look back and it shaped me to the, the person that I am now. You you end up being uh, an outstanding decathlon athlete. How does one end up choosing the decathlon? Because it, it feels. It feels like a lot when you're just looking at it from the outside, but how do you end up saying, well, I'm kind of good at all of these things. Let's combine them, and that'll be the, the singular focus. <laughs> yeah, it started with in high school. I ended up – I was a hurdler in high school, um, did some high jump, and I remember 
at a track meet running from high jump and then the, the hurdles were starting in five minutes. So quick running over to the hurdles, doing it. And then we had a, a you know, another race coming up and getting ready for that. And the excitement and the joy of, of kind of doing one to the next to the next. And I remember high school coach telling me, you know, you should think about the decathlon. And I think I took more of an unconventional route than most athletes might take. I, I heard that and I went to the library and I checked out probably 10 books on the decathlon because I, I had never heard of it before. Started reading through it, um, seeing about some of the greats, uh, and, and how it, how it scored and, and becoming fascinated with it. Um, and so from that, kind of on my own, I went to the pole vault coach and said, I don't want to pole vault in high school, but I want you to teach me how to pole vault for when I go to college. And he was so confused um, <laughs> as to why. And so, yeah, much a very unconventional route. What, what I think really solidified it, though, was coming to Wheaton or in, in the recruitment process, telling Coach Bradley, you know, I, I have this dream to, to be a decathlete. It, it sounds fascinating. What do you think? Um, and this being Coach Bradley, he said, yes, of course, of course. He encouraged me to, to follow that dream, to start, to start training now. Uh, and quickly found out decathletes or Coach Bradley loves coaching multi-eventers. Um, and, and Coach Bradley was a perfect fit for that, really balancing, um, connecting with coaches for the throws and through, through the vaults and uh, through the jumps. And, yeah, it was, it was a great experience. How do you balance training for something like that? Because you've got to, there's got to be an, an area of, of excel, of excellence in all these different areas, but you obviously have to spend time on each of them. So how do you, how do you, what's a training program look like that allows you to practice, get better at the pole vault and your hurdles and your throws and just all of that encapsulated in the same experience? Mm-hmm. That it really does come down to the coach at that point who you trust his guidance and coach Bradley was, one who has a lot of experience with it, uh, and, and we trusted that guidance for sure. Um, the the first the first year is it's a rough year typically where you're coming in and you you got to learn a lot. So I had I had background in hurdles, but pole vault was it's just it's a tough one to to figure out. Um, and so many many practices just running, putting the pole in, and getting you know either pushed back or or getting nowhere close to the bar. Uh, but eventually you know pushing through and. Um, yeah, as to, to the time, the, the one nice thing about decathlon, it's that it's a, it's a, a rather objective event. So you can put your score, your distances in. So how far you jump, how far you throw, how fast you are, you can put that into a calculator and it, and it will give you your score. So the way the decathlon works, it's, it's not about how you placed with other athletes. It's all about your, these objective scores you've received. Uh, and so what you can do is you can really, you can plug it in and you can see where you are and what you think you can become. Look at the, the score trade-off, how much points you can score, uh, and you can go from there. And there, there was many, many, um, days, and I know many decathletes who just play with these numbers all the time to figure out where they can grow the most. Well, that it, that, that feels like it would play well into your strengths because you were a three-time academic All-American. So does the academic aspect of that kind of feed feet how you can improve so many points if you add another couple feet here and, and take a second off here yeah it's 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 um it's also one of those i think where you 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 need to accept that you're not going to be amazing in everything that and i think that 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 comes hard for some people but a recognition of your own limitations 
and that you have you have strengths and you have weaknesses just like um like any other aspect of life uh, and it's it's learning to capitalize on your strengths really try to um get the most out of that you can out of a, an event that you're really great at and it's about minimizing the events that you know you you might not be that good at so i know many decathletes where throws is is not their forte uh, it's just not something most of us excel at uh, and so really just trying to get as as good as you can at that and then you know, capitalizing on other events that you might enjoy and and might be able to get a lot more points in. You were able to finish your career as an All-American, both with the indoor and, and the outdoor uh, nationals. So uh, looking back on it, what's the sense of accomplishment going out on the high like that? Yeah, so I want to I wanna share a bit about, I guess, yeah, the decathlon in general, and, because that really comes... That, that ties into my kind of the takeaway from it and my, my memories of it and the, yeah, the finish of it. Um, what, what I said before, what, what's unique about the decathlon is that it's not about, um, where you finish, um, compared to another athlete in your individual events. So the decathlon is 10 different events over two days. Um, and so it's not about if you finish first, second, third or fourth or fifth in the, the dash in a hundred meters or the long jump. All that matters at the end of the day is your your score. So your your time uh, in the event translates to a score, and that those are added up, and then from that you get your final decathlon score. And so what's very unique about the decathlon is that you spend two days uh, with athletes. It's a competition that takes place over two days. It starts very early in the morning, often at eight in the morning, uh, goes to late at night, maybe six, seven at night sometimes. And over the course of those two days. You become very, very close uh, with those that you're competing with. You just spend a lot of time with them. Um, and so what's what's unique about the decathlon is that you become friends with these people. And, and going to nationals, uh, you become friends. We become genuine friends with the, the 16 or the 20 people that you're competing against. And you, you get to the point where you, you cheer each other on. You, you want each other to do well because you want each other to do their best. You know, because... Your score is not based on how well you do compared to someone else. You want them to do well in the, the 100 meter dash because you want them to do their best. You want them to do well in the long jump because it's, it's ultimately, it, it doesn't jeopardize your score in the long jump at all. You want them to do well in, in these various events. And so you, you get this, this amazing camaraderie that, that I've not seen in other events. Um, just simply because the time, the, the nature of the event. And I think maybe some of the decathletes as well, those who are crazy enough to do 10 events, you get some, some, some friendly people as well. Um, but so looking back at, yeah, the finishing, um, at nationals at the end of the event, you know, all the guys are going around, we're giving each other hugs. Um, we're taking group photos. And then after that, we're going to the ice bath and, or stretching or, you know, getting a bite to eat with each other. Um, and even at t today, still messaging some of those, those guys that I'm close with, seeing what they're up to and, and wishing them all the best. And so, yeah, when I look back at nationals, I think of those friends and the, the, yeah, the, the unique aspect of rooting for those that you sometimes um, might be competing with, but wanting them to ultimately do their best. How does that camaraderie help you kind of centralize your focus on the event? Because in talking with Coach Bradley leading up to us send down today, he had mentioned that you had some pretty unique external circumstances around a couple of your nationals experiences. 
Um, so I'm, wonder, I'm wondering if that maybe helps you hone the focus a little bit more and stay in the moment when you've got a lot of other stuff going on around you. And then also if you'd be able to, to share some of those stories um, <laughs> of, of having, to, having to have some – you're going for a national championship, but you've got bigger things going on at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think I know what Coach Bradley's referring to. Um, yeah, so being friends with the athletes, it, it really is – you get to know more about what's going on in their life outside of decathlon. You get to know um, what really drives these guys. And some of these are, are very unique people. Um, and so one of the things that I was sharing with the, the some of the decathletes are in this, it was indoors actually um, in the heptathlon. So the fellow the heptathletes was that between day one and, and day two, um, there was, I had an interview for, for going off to do a, to a master's degree. Um, in between the days. And so what, what happened is actually they, the, the interview committee, they wanted to do the interview during the pole vault. And so I, I told them, I, I really cannot. They said, are you competing? And I said, well, it will, it'll be between jumps. So I'll have, you know, a couple minutes off, a couple minutes on. They said, can you do the interview then? And I said, no, no, I, I don't think that's possible. <laughs> I mean, I, I could try, but then I'd have to go and, and do a jump. And then if I make it, then I can talk to you again. Uh, so what happened was, this was in between day two, day one and day two of the heptathlon. We were in, in Boston. Um, where we finished day one, uh, I said bye to the guys. They helped kind of get all my things together really quickly. We, we rushed off back to the, the, uh, the apartment that we were staying at. I quickly, uh, changed into a dress shirt, put a tie on, uh, set up the camera and then started an interview, um, explaining, you know, my background and why I want to do a master's program in, in England. And, uh, it was quite the experience, and Coach Bradley and I, we, we laugh about it. Um, but ultimately, I think it, it, it's a healthy one, too. Um, it helps put in perspective um, athletics as well. And, and again, to have a coach that is, is willing to say, yeah, I want you to, to do your best in this interview, and I want you to do best on the track, and, and encouraging both uh, speaks again to Coach Bradley and to Wheaton. You you also finished your career winning the CCAW Man of the Year, and there's more than that than the CCW man of the year is kind of an all encompassing it's athletic achievement and academic achievement. And uh, it's, does that feel like a pretty significant payoff for all the hard work you put in during your undergrad career? You know, I really, I think it speaks to, to the quality of Wheaton and, and to, to the type of people who, who are at Wheaton. It speaks to, to the professors, to the coaches again, who, uh, who focus and who, who develop you into someone in all aspects of life. And so I'm thinking practically of, of Coach Bradley with, when it comes to time management, who encouraged me and who pushed me on the track, but who also understood that that I wanted to uh, have other commitments outside and encouraged that. Uh, I think of one of the professors I had, uh, Dr. Lee, um, who who allowed me to, to join him for research in, in Pakistan to work on microfinance, who, who heard about my passions and who, who saw research coming up and who kind of connected the two together and, and worked through some, through some circumstances and, and made it happen. And so I think that, that, that award really does speak to, to the quality of Wheaton, to, to, to a, a univ, to a college that, um, yeah, provides opportunities for you to become all that you can be to pursue and to pursue your potential to become, to try to realize that potential. Um, yeah, again, on the track, athletically, and and serving, fulfilling God's calling ultimately for you um, 
whether that be in Wheaton or or wherever you might be. So after after you graduate, you're you're currently on the incident management support team, the COVID nineteen incident management support team at the World Health Organization. So what was what was the road that that took you from where you were post grad to where you are now? Yeah, so it happened through again sharing um, some of my dreams with some of the professors at Wheaton, um, and and. What's unique is no no one said no that that's unfeasible that's not possible but everyone said yeah uh, how can we get you there uh, and so Wheaton has so many great professors one just two of them that really helped me out um, is through the Humanitarian Disaster Institute and now the the Humanitarian Disaster Leadership Masters Program uh, Jamie Ayton and Kent Annan and so they helped really uh, prepare me when it comes to um, emergency management. Uh, and, and kind of developing those technical skills that, that you would need. Um, but what happened it was, it was, um, it was a lot of applications to a lot of different organizations over the, over the summer. Uh, and eventually one, one panned out. Um, and so it was interning at World Health Organization, um, two summers ago. And then from that working, I have, I have no health, um, background whatsoever. I have more of an emergency management side, uh, background. And so interning with them and then going off doing the master's program uh, in England and then COVID um, started to started to yeah, begin to flare up around um, in the spring of 2020. And so reached out to some of the people that I knew, uh, said, you know, do you do you need any assistance? Is there any need for help? And as you might imagine, for, for WHO, there, there was a lot of things going on. So they said, yes, please. And so we were able to um, yeah, to start joining that team there. And worth noting again, like we talked about the Boston experience, you left for your internship a day the day after you finished competing at outdoor nationals. So a pretty pretty <laughs> quick transition there. As well. Yes, yeah. So what what happened there is I went from yeah. So we finished outdoor nationals. It was in Geneva, Ohio, and then uh, got on a plane and landed in Geneva, Switzerland the next day. Uh, and it was <laughs> such an odd experience going from Geneva to Geneva. Um, but yeah, so that, that was one of the programs that was through Duke University. They had a, a class in Geneva for a week and then they helped pair you with, with different internships. And so working through them and some of their liaisons, they were able to yeah, connect me with World Health Organization. So what is, what is your current role there at the World Health Organization entail? And, and I think we, we've heard a lot about the World Health Organization because of the pandemic, but I, I think there's still a little bit of vagueness in what the World Health Organization's role is. So if you wouldn't mind kind of explaining what the what the WHO's role is in handling a pandemic. Yeah, yeah. So WHO, um, World Health Organization, you can really break it down to, to two aspects. So um, one, they set normative guidance. So they're, they're an organization that would say these are kind of the standards or, or this is what is the correct way of operating um, when it comes to, to most anything health related. So when it comes to um, you know, how health systems should operate or handling of cancer, any these very broad topics. Uh, WHO says this is what this is kind of the the agreed upon. This is the correct way of doing it. So they set the standards there. And then the other thing that they, they would do is that they're operational. So they help um, countries. Uh, they come alongside countries and support them uh, in strengthening their health system or, or helping out anything health related. And so countries can request WHO or have WHO offices within their countries 
uh, and they can reach out to WRHO and say, we're interested in strengthening um, this program or we want some guidance when it comes to um, setting up X, Y, or Z. And so when it comes to the pandemic, um, the role that WHO plays is, is largely a coordination role. So WHO is, is made up of countries. And so WHO is, is only as strong as the countries that, that make it up. And so what they try to do is they, they try to, that we have a monitoring system. So to see if there's any kind of potential outbreaks that could lead to a pandemic, uh, notifying of that. It's also coordinating with an actors, um, uh, to know that, okay, it's spread from here to here. We need to be alert. Um, and then the other big thing is, so this is what, with what my team would handle is we also look at some, uh, interventions that governments might put in place. So when it looks at international travel and trade, for example, um, we, we try to look at to see what countries are putting in place, um, because that they try to deal with the pandemic through that, but then it also has other side effects as well. So as we know, pandemic, um, yes, it's a health crisis, but it's also led to, to economic issues as well. And so being an organization that looks out for that, um, it's important. Uh, so as to my, my role, what, what we largely do uh, within my team is that we, we monitor what countries in Europe are, are doing and what measures they're putting in place in response to COVID. So whether that's um, stay-at-home measures or restricting movement or closing schools, uh, we stay up to date on what every country is doing. Uh, and then we, we try to analyze that, do some trend analysis and see, okay, based on this, um, how does this align with some of the, the most recent studies coming out? Is this, is this helpful? Um, and how, how we can, how can we encourage countries to yeah, take the, the best approach, um, both health wise, but then also more broadly, um, so that people can yeah, get back to, to living? Yeah, I, I would, I think even just focusing on that in Europe can feel like, a little overwhelming when, when you mention all that, but do you feel like having to, your experience having to prepare for a decathlon and, and kind of having to spread yourself over 10 events, do you feel like that kind of helps you be able to focus on all this as well and and balance what needs your the most attention at the time? Yeah, decathlon really does teach you to, to set priorities. Um, it teaches, teaches you a lot of things. I told you, I in preparing for um, when sharing with one of my, my friends at, at Wheaton, I was saying, you know, I think sports teaches you a lot of things. Uh, and, and they, they were, they were a bit skeptical of, of all the lessons you could actually learn from sports. And in response to that, I wrote 20 kind of lessons I learned from the decathlon. Uh, there's, there's so many out there, but I think some of those have definitely, definitely prepared me both for, for WHO, but also, um, I think for, for living life in, in the world that we live in today. I think one that I can that practically share is is one called fortitude, uh, and it's it's something that I think is sometimes overlooked in our world today. In a world that's kind of often caught up with um, instant gratification, um, or if you face a challenge or setback, instantly overcoming it. Um, and I, I think one thing that you learn in, in track and field and in the decathlon uh, is that you're you're constantly faced with with disappointments, with letdowns. Within a decathlon, you will you will never have a perfect day. You will never have a perfect two days where you have ten events that go all your best, and you have a personal best in all those events. It, it never happens. Within a decathlon, you'll have some good events, you'll have some bad events, but it's ultimately about piecing those together to create the best overall performance. And so, uh, what fortitude often te what teaches you it's it's a virtue, and it's it's been described as the defender of all virtues. It's 
It's called it, one definition is courage in pain and adversity. Uh, another definition might be the, the strength of mind that enables a person to encounter danger or bear pain or adversity with courage. Um, and so what fortitude, what track and field with decathlon, uh, I think consistently taught me and what, what it really fostered in, in, in me and throughout, I think most athletics in general, it teaches athletes. It's, it's facing kind of these hardships, these setbacks, um, but recognizing that they're, they're a fundamental part of life. Uh, and, and, and it is a willingness to kind of sit through some of these setbacks, sit, sit through these challenges, sit through, um, when it comes to the pandemic now, sit through, um, kind of this, this uncomfortable period of time filled with uncertainty and disappointment and unfulfilled dreams. Um, and what fortitude, it, it teaches you to, it allows you to, I guess, to, to live through that. You know, decathlon, you learn it's, it's not everything's going to go your way. Um, but yeah, being able to, to continue to, to push forward, uh, is uh, I think a fundamental aspect that decathlon teaches and whether it's, um, living through the pandemic or worlding, work, working at World Health Organization where um, things don't often go how you would expect them to go or, or things get much worse in, in places. Yeah, it's it's allowing you to face all of life. Yeah, I, I think we, we all have our different experiences through the pandemic, and that certainly has, has even brought a magnitude, uh, put a magnifying glass to how we look at some of the things that you just mentioned. But being being overseas and obviously at the time you had been by by choice because you had been pursuing the master's program what's the experience been having to be away from home in the middle of all this amidst lockdowns and and everything else and and how has that kind of made for a different lens through which to view the, what's been going on here in 2020 mhm yeah it's, it was definitely a a hard choice when when things started um escalating rather quickly um some people were trying to fly home and there was a lot of chaos there as to whether to go home or to stay and if you could make it home um but ultimately then deciding yet yeah, to, to stay in england which now looking back you can clearly see it was, it was god's hand at play i think i'll share yeah there's one experience that i'll share through that 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 speaks to i guess the role of, of faith in this and, and a major lesson learned um, working at WHO, experiencing the pandemic while overseas, and that would be the the story of, of Johnny. And so, so Johnny was uh, is an elderly neighbor of mine um, that we started to get to know very much through through the pandemic. So, so he lives two doors down, and then every day around six p.m., he would go out of his house, um, make his way down to the mini market that the, the store that was right next to us, buy some things, uh, and then kind of stand outside just waiting to talk to someone um because of the pandemic he he really wasn't able to talk to a lot of people uh his life was pretty much disrupted and he lived on his own uh and so you know just by chance we lived right in this direct path between his house and the store and where he would wait and so we started to talk to him uh you know sometimes you know short conversations uh but Johnny you you could tell he wanted to talk more and so you know, sometimes he'd talk for 10, 15, 30 minutes and he'd, you know, just a lot to share about and just such a kind soul. Uh, and then, he, you know, wanted to take you back and you know, we could have some coffee at his place or some, you know, English tea and, and keep on talking. And, and it was during that time that, that sometimes you felt the pressure that, oh, I, I need to, you know, work is still going on or I need to get back to work or, you know, need to get back to, you know, studying the master's degree. 
but then you you started to realize that that you know sometimes you you work at w world health organization or you sometimes have these large ideals uh, and you want to help and you want to you know serve humanity uh, but sometimes you have a more immediate calling and there's humans around you it's not just about humanity it's it's about humans ultimately uh, and so throughout the pandemic um Johnny consistently taught us that it's it's not just about you know these large abstract concepts that that we should fight for which I think we we need to in like undoubtedly but it's also about yeah being faithful to those that have got that God has put into your life being being friends to those that 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 are that are close to you and, and I think that's one thing that I can learn from the pandemic is is yeah loving humans along with humanity being tied into such a global response and i mean such a kind of a cataclysmic shift of of the way we we do things have, have you felt the pandemic has changed your areas of interest or maybe sent you in a direction that you didn't expect yeah um, un undoubtedly yes there's i i didn't dream of yeah coming back to the world health organization would always love the organization but never thought it would it would be this quickly. I remember saying goodbye to, to colleagues at the end of the summer and, and thinking, yeah, maybe I'll see them again in, you know, 10, 15 years and not less <laughs> than a year went by and, and we're back together. <laughs> and so good to see old friends. Um, yeah, I think one, one area that I particularly kind of gravitated towards was our work with, um, with travel and trade. And so what's unique about this line of work is that you're working with World Health Organization focused on health. Uh, and measures that governments have put in place to help protect people's health, and yet these have economic consequences. That it's it's people um, are not only facing severe you know health consequences from COVID and dying, but people are losing their jobs. People um, are unable to find jobs, and so working and monitoring how governments are are working to to help. Uh, protect people from COVID and also try to protect livelihoods uh, is, I think, an, an area that I'd, I'd love to continue to, to to work in to see how do you holistically to care for for people. I know there's, there's probably a lot of obviously a lot of focus on what what's going on in the moment, but has there has there ever been a, a, a time where you could give yourself a minute to kind of realize that what you're doing in the big picture here? Is what is is helping to to change and and will be impacting how we view things in a little bit of a history book moment, and and that our kids will probably this will be a, a chapter of their history books, and and it will be a part of curriculum that'll be taught for you know a, a long long time. Yeah, there's there's definitely a recognition that this is uh, unprecedented within our lifetime. I think what what's unique about a unique understanding working with World Health Organization is that, you know, you hear it often, but that that these sorts of kind of pandemics or infectious disease outbreaks, they're probably not going to go away. We live in a very globally connected world and, and the ability for for things to spread, for people to travel around is, is amazing. But that also comes with the ability of, of viruses to spread and other diseases to spread as well. And so I think one of the things that we're learning at WHO and, and really trying to emphasize is that we're working, yes, to solve the the immediate pandemic that we're in, but it's also setting up a, a playbook for for what happens next. If if something comes along um, in the future, and we hope it doesn't, but if it comes along, what what worked well, 
Uh, and I think that, that, that gives, I think, a lot more, there's, there's an immediate need and there's also, I think, a yeah, consistent kind of long term need as well. And so having both of those, I think, keeps you motivated and, and keeps you, um, yeah, focused on the work you're doing. As as you've gone through all this, and we'll, we'll wrap up with this, what role have you felt your faith play and your Wheaton experience play as as you've had to approach uh, this this unprecedented work and and something that, like you said, you maybe didn't anticipate having to do so early. Hmm. I'll go back to Johnny for this one. I think you know it's easy working for. I think when you're looking the the role that I play, when you're looking at measures that are put in place by governments on, on on a regional level, when you're looking at the European region, when you're seeing very big figures about the number of people, COVID cases and the number of people who died, and now we're reaching over one and a half million people who have died from COVID or, or, or you know, complications from COVID, I think it's sometimes easy to to lose the human human side of things. It's these start to become figures. I think the role of my faith, and I think it's it's a, it's a very needed perspective in this area, is that it's these are figures, yes, but these these are people with with lives. They're created by God. They're in His image. They're, they're beautiful people, and so you know the role of the, the story of Johnny, the, the friendship of Johnny, really does hit home. That it's it's not about you know it. it there are millions of people, but and these these large figures, but it's also each of these are individual people. Um, and so Johnny has taught us that I think it taught me and hopefully it's teaching others as well that, that we, we are called to be faithful. Yes. To these, to these large figures and working in a job, um, concerned about the whole region, but also having concern and care and, and being called to, to working and, and serving and becoming friends with, with individual people as well.